You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Mark, welcome back finally again to Real Vision. It's been a while since we caught up. Life's not dull, Raul. It's great to catch up with you finally. Yeah. Listen, you know, obviously you've got one of the best kind of Twitter experiences in the world. And I always follow what you do because, you know, you and I live in very different worlds. I'm a macro guy. You're a single stock guy. And I, you know, I'm always fascinated in learning from somebody like you who just approaches everything so differently. And it's always an incredible experience. And I've noticed some strange goings on in terms of the things you're looking at that have kind of blown me away, stopped me in my tracks. And I'd love to go through the overstock story because I think that's something I think people won't imagine that it's something you'd be looking at, but it's become a really amazing story and an incredible home run for you as well thus far. So I'd love to hear your story of Overstock, because you had a pre-story to this as well, didn't you? Oh, I have a pre-story. I have the real story. I mean, so I go back with Overstock probably to the year 2000 or something close to that. And back in my prior life, a couple lives ago, I was in the hedge fund business and we were short Overstock. Uh, We thought the company was completely out of control mismanaged by a fellow named Patrick Byrne. And we thought the company was a great short. We thought this at about 20, stock went to 80, got absolutely killed. Eventually, their uh, Burns accounting caught up to them, stock blew up. We got sued for a wide variety of reasons, all crazy. They sued us for a billion dollars. Um, David Rocker retired from the business. I ended up settling it with Burn and Overstock at the time for $7 million. I gave a, I think, a legendary deposition when Overstock also sued Goldman Sachs and the prime brokers for naked shorting. Overstock prevailed. Actually, I think my deposition helped them. And it was dormant. It was a dead issue. Closed the hedge fund in 2009. A well-known story that's that's been told, and somewhere in the 2017 timeframe, I got a call from a lady who I like named Jillian McIntyre, and she said, "Have you ever looked at Overstock lately?" I said, "Is a what?" And she says, "Is a long." I said, "No, why?" And she said, "Internet's been cleaned up, uh, costs are way down." They're making a little money, but they have these various blockchain businesses that they've gotten into, which are really interesting. So I said, okay, I'm not doing anything that fancy. Stock's around 15. And I call up Burn, my old arch enemy. But I, I always kind of liked Burn, kind of as a crazy genius. He's a three-time cancer survivor, so I've always respected him for fighting through that. And he and there are many stories out there about him. 
you know, how he survived and the experimental drugs that he took. So I, I really, I've had a lot of friends die of cancer lately. So I really, you know, admire the fight that he went through. So we sort of buried the hatchet, told me the story. I thought he changed. Uh, and I thought he really put together some great assets on the blockchain side. And retail, or the dot-com business, was very cheap. And net, 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 since they've been in business since 2000, Amazon and Overstock got in business about the same time. Overstock actually has net made money. So I thought it was, it was great. I thought it was cheap. I thought there were multiple ways to win. I bought the stock. I pitched it at Grants at, that October at about 30. I told people it was going to go way the fuck up. It went to about 90. And Byrne basically didn't change his spots, which I knew was a risk, and was acting crazy and reckless. Stock went back down, telling crazy stories about the Russian spy and all this kind of stuff, and basically wrote a letter to the board and got a hold of everyone. And I said, he's basically going to ruin the company if this is allowed to go on. And I said, I think he needs to go. And they got rid of Byrne. And I don't know, the stock was the time 22, 23, 24 last year, probably this time last year. So it went all the way back down. Byrne then goes and sells all his stock at 19. A uh, new fellow comes in, Jonathan Johnson, who I like a lot. I call him Joe Gibbs, Hall of Fame coach of the Redskins now. And I flew out to Utah to meet with him October of last year. I basically said that I think you have a great thing going, but you need to clean it up. You need to bring in your people. You need to simplify the story. You need to just flat out execute because people think you're just going away. And I don't think you are. You have great blockchain assets and you just need to make things simple. So he didn't say anything. He just took it all in. Market falls apart, you know, as we know with COVID. Stock goes to three. I just keep buying it. And You're long all the way through this. Well, I'm buying it from, from when Johnson came in at 15 down to three, yeah. And Johnson also buy stock in the high twos in, I think, February or March of this year. And kind of the rest is history. He had, he got dot-com cleaned up. And when COVID hit, it created an interest to what they do, which is basically selling, you know, home furnishings and things on the web and their sales, which were supposed to do a billion four this year. Again, I mean, the stock was so ridiculously cheap with cash, it wasn't even funny. I think now they'll do, uh, with a little tailwind, I think they'll do two and a half billion. And the stock's basically gone from three, it hit 125 the other day, now it's <laughs> give or take 90. I still like this thing a lot. I like it a lot for a lot of reasons. And it's, it's actually cheap compared to Wayfair. They're executing at a high level. Uh, sales were up 100 and some odd percent in the last quarter. They're, they're making money. They're throwing off cash. They just raised a pile of money. So 
I think he's Johnson has de-risked this company hugely. Uh, they announced uh, a very big GSA contract where it's them, Amazon, and Thermal Fisher. So I think Overstock is now the anti-Amazon, and they're doing business with the government. And I think the opportunities are huge. But I always say my son uh, teaches me, gives me perseverance. Uh, I always say I never let go of the rope unless I take the rope to wrap around an enemy's throat. And, um, but it's important not to quit or give up if you think you're right. And it's important to see things through. And people can say I'm lucky. People can say all sorts of things. But I always say luck favors the well-prepared. And I think Overstock was well-prepared for this environment. And I think, you know, people like Target were well-prepared for this environment. I mean, Target's I'm not involved in Target. I happen to be really good friends with the guy who runs it. And, and it bothers me sometimes where people say COVID this, COVID that, COVID this. The people who've benefited from what goes on are people who can roll with the punches and are flexible and who invest in things like this for when uh, crazy things or black swan events can happen. And we had one and Overstock's been a winner and I think they'll still be a huge winner uh, even when things clear up. But I don't think uh, the world gets back to normal anytime soon. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So, talk to me about the blockchain stuff, because this must have been relatively new to you at that point. So you have to get up to speed and figuring out what the hell this all is and what it means. When I short a stock, I try to find many ways to win, not just one, because life changes and things change and companies can solve or create new issues on the fly. So I never like being involved in single shot ways to win or lose. I view overstock in the blockchain as you have a wonderful e-commerce business right now and you have their various blockchain businesses, which I view as lottery tickets. I think you have the daily scratchers, uh, which you may win or lose. Uh, you got some, some lottos and you have Powerball. And I think part of those tickets are going to be ripped up and are not worth anything. I think they're going to hit on some lotto numbers, some big ones. And I think they're well on the way on hitting on some Powerball. And we're in an environment right now that if you hit a Powerball, uh, as we know, stocks can go beyond linear. I mean, it could be a nuclear-fueled uh, event. And I think Overstock has a couple of those. They're not all going to hit. They're not all expected to hit. And right now, Wall Street's paying zero for anything with with blockchain. I think the the stock is is cheap compared to some of its peers based on its e-commerce. And I think you get all their blockchain initiatives for free. But normally somebody like you would say, well, they're not focusing on their core business. Why are they doing it? How did you get over that hurdle to say, all right, look, this is really accretive and it's meaningful and it really could be something? Well, this is the Burns uh, dilemma, if you will. I think Patrick had the vision on blockchain he had the vision on crypto. I could really care less on crypto. Crypto doesn't interest me at all. 
an overstock's not a crypto play. He, he had these visions, but in Patrick's genius and his, his genius, his failings are that of execution. And he just didn't execute on these things. He, he has a whole bunch of assets that basically are there and are not, as I would say, actively or properly managed. And Wall Street and others have given them zero valuation. So if something is valued at zero, and I think a business or a concept or a thought is intriguing, in my mind, it's worth more than zero, and it can be uh, possibly life-altering and, and crazy. Um, and we're in an environment where new initiatives in wide open markets with the proper management uh, can really prosper. And what I think Overstock's going to do and what I think Johnson's going to do, and again, he's an execution guy. He's not a flashy pie-in-the-sky type person. What I think he's going to do is partner some of these things off. Uh, he can tokenize these assets. We can get into that in a minute. And and he can really run something that my friend Bradley Safflow calls the flywheel, where people will then start to really dig into these businesses and say, wait a minute, you know, Overstock owns a significant part of a company called Votes, which is blockchain voting. Now, if blockchain voting or votes was public right now, or votes was in a SPAC, or votes gets tokenized, votes would be worth, in my mind, a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. Because part, in my mind, of finding stocks that go way up, like way the hell up, is finding a solution to a really big problem. And I have a friend, Alan Hickok, he's a restaurant guy, and he's a brilliant consultant. And he said, it's not the guys who succeed with new. I mean, new restaurants and new publicly traded companies or restaurants with new, they never work. The guys who work and the things that work are finding a huge market and doing it better. I mean, Starbucks found the corner coffee shop. I mean, back when you and I were young, there was no Starbucks. You buy coffee at the corner diner, coffee shop, or whatever. And Starbucks said, we can do this better. We can make a better cup of coffee or an espresso at a freestanding store. And they've absolutely wiped out the so-called corner coffee shop. Used to be when we were younger, there was strawberry, vanilla, and chocolate ice cream. Then Ben and Jerry's came around. Then haagen came around. Now, no one eat strawberry, vanilla, or chocolate ice cream in the grocery store. There's there's a ton of skews of various things. Or, again, back when you and I were degenerates drinking beer, there was Budweiser, there was Miller, and there was Schlitz. That's what there was. And then when Craft Brew came along, the up and start – I mean, Craft Brew has been taking from beer guys for the past 40 years. They've been taking share. Most famous one is Sam Adams. So it's finding – big markets or big problems where you can offer a solution. And votes or blockchain voting, in my mind, and I think at some point in the near future, blockchain voting is going to be a big deal. I mean, people can't stand ballots for safety reasons. They they think the mail's not safe. 
Well, hell, if you do banking on your phone where you and you can trade stocks on your phone, you sure can vote on your phone with three, you know, three encrypted ways to figure out who's who. So votes is one of their portfolio companies that I'm excited about. Land development with Medici uh, is important with titling in third world countries. They have something called Bit, which is a digital wallet that they're working on in the Caribbean. They have something that, you know, that text that checks out your your health card, your put your health on uh, or your diseases or your medical history on the blockchain. I think that's really important. But the one to me that can be the grand slam of them, of them all is something called T0. And T0 is their it's called an ATS alternative token system. It's an exchange. And they have patents up, down, and sideways that you basically can tokenize assets and trade things on their exchange. And Fleckenstein was by here, I think, two, three weeks ago. And, and he's a careful thinker, and he's a brilliant mind, and he's a really good friend. And we started talking about it. And I'm not a I'm not a rocket scientist, and I'm not an engineer, and I can't talk about algorithms and all sorts of crazy stuff. I'm just like a regular guy who tries to think it through. And I basically think of the T0 and their ATS as sort of a chicken and an egg on a super highway. So T0 and Overstock owns 80% of it, has built a brand new interstate from San Francisco to New York. It's brand new. And there's nothing along the side of it. There's no buildings, there's no hotels, there's no restaurants, and there's three cars on it right now. There's the T0 token, there's the St. Regis of Aspen token, which is a hotel real estate property that just traded there, and they have the overstock preferred on there. So they have three items, and let's call those the eggs. Now the chickens, the chickens are the customers who can go and trade on this thing. And right now, T0 is in the process of getting, becoming a broker-dealer. And I think that approval is at hand. I think that's coming shortly, as in days. It's easy to use and it's easy to sign up for. But eventually, Morgan Stanley is going to be on it. And Merrill Lynch is going to be on it. And E-Trade is going to be on it. And I'm thinking Robinhood will be on it. And everyone will be on this thing. So when... The customer, the investor, has easy access to the token exchange. It then is up to the investment banks, who right now are doing nothing, to start coming up with items, securitizing assets to be put on the exchange. And I kid around with people at Piper or Wedbush or Needham. I say, right now, what the hell does an investment banker at Piper Jeffrey do all day other than nothing, right? All these investment bankers at all these firms are sitting around looking at their navel doing nothing. So they can easily go out and start tokenizing the Empire State Building, the Great Wall of China, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge, Yosemite, anything that generates revenue that has an asset as long as that asset pays out a portion of the revenue in the form of a dividend, it's, t it's 
securitizable slash tokenable. And I think the market for this is going to be huge. And and as I say to said to Fleckenstein, I, I have no problem with Davy Day Trader, whatever that guy is. I have no issue with him whatsoever. But Joe Sixpack and the person at home who wants to trade stocks would love nothing more than to trade various forms of assets. And and and, and, and let me just, just give you one example. So I, I go to the guys at Piper and I said, why can't Piper Jaffrey or Wedbush or whoever else go to the NFL Player Association and start tokenizing pro athletes? Yeah. First round draft picks. You can tokenize Trevor Lawrence in college. You could tokenize Tom Brady. You can tokenize Mahomes. And there's a, then you have the speculative trading of is he going to get a new contract? Is he going to win the Super Bowl? I mean, imagine if you bought the Michael Jordan token when he was drafted out of North Carolina. And there's going to be hits and misses, and there's going to be winners or losers. But the great thing with this, with their token system, is everyone, if you buy a token, it's yours. It's not like a stock where the thing gets borrowed against in margin and relocated out, and there's 110 million shares out and there's 400 million in the in the flow trading around no this is one token per one offering and it's same day settlement and everyone knows where the token set and you have a regular market and this t0 market is a regular market and and i think tokenizing of securities again whether it's debt individuals, movie library, song library, sports figures, real estate, assets, Kanye West, Kardashians, rugby teams, soccer teams, soccer players. I mean, instead of the Golden State Warriors borrowing money to build the new arena, which no one uses because of COVID, they could have tokenized it. They could have raised money from the public because Everyone would love to own a piece of the Green Bay Packers, the Boston Red Sox, the San Francisco Giants, you know, the Oakland Raiders. And I think the market for this in the next three months to three years is going to absolutely explode, absolutely explode. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. I can't agree more. It's one of the biggest things I've seen. It's so obvious, particularly in a world where we live with record high price valuations for equities and all of this kind of stuff, right? But once you start tokenizing the things that people want to own, as you say, sports stars you can even tokenize supercar you can tokenize anything exactly streams i mean the world i'm going to is like why should exxon exist it should have like numerous tokenized revenue streams one for its real estate one for its flow one for its uh you know ecology business some for the upstream some for downstream you don't need a corporation any longer well well, you not only don't need a corporation but the other than tragically 
180,000 Americans dying because of the virus, and God knows where the numbers go, and people worldwide. What the virus and what this has taught everyone is what you need and what you don't need. What, what you need and what you don't need. And people have not been really thinking. Everyone's acting. And, you know, before I got like a real job, I used to be a counselor at a boys overnight camp, which was my favorite job ever. And the camp director, Bob Mercer, who is the greatest man I've ever known, he always told me, because he gave me the, the weirdest kids, he always said, when times are crazy, don't just do something, stand there. Because what you initially do is always the wrong thing. If you stop and you look and you see what's going on, you can then try to assess and figure out the problem with a clear head and a clear mind, which is something I try, I've tried to do in this time of COVID is everyone's acting, everyone's reacting, everyone's reacting, but very few are sitting there and really trying to think, really trying to think what the next wave is. And I think the next wave, as you said, is going to be tokenization because there's a lot of things people don't need. And it's going to not necessarily be so easy for people to raise money in various ways and, and not have a stock and have SEC filings and have conference calls and worrying about Wall Street analysts. If I'm Patrick Mahomes, I go and tokenize myself, agree to pay 10% of my future earnings in the form of dividend, and maybe Piper Jaffe or Wedbush gives me $50 million up front because I just signed a $500 million contract with the Chiefs. And the bet is, what does he sign with Nike? or General Mills, or a beer company, or what's his next contract worth? And, and the individual can understand that. And as Fleckenstein said, it's very pure. You don't have to worry about earnings manipulations. You don't have to worry about a conference call of coming with a quarter that's better than or worse than expected. You can think, you can tokenize Mount Rushmore and say, are people going to go and visit it or not visit it? God knows the government needs money. God knows the deficits are huge. God knows they pay, you know, going to raise trillions and trillions to, to help people out, which I totally get. But why not tokenize some of those assets to people who want to own a piece of Mount Rushmore, I mean, a piece I, of Grand Canyon? I've seen another interesting thing here in the Cayman Islands because a lot of the documentation, the legal work, all happened over here. So the first tokens were done here and stuff. So all the lawyers, so everyone on Ireland's pretty aware of this. And one of the guys in the property business here came to me, came in and guy said, I'm thinking of tokenizing real estate. I said, why is that? He said, because we're getting a problem with the rich-poor divide that the normal Caymanians can't afford the, the beachfront property. And that's making the rich rich and the poor don't participate. He said, so I'm going to just tokenize it so anybody can have a share and we can stick it in the local pension plans. I'm like, Christ, that solves a huge problem. It solves a huge problem. I'll get into how I'm at least playing this. And again, what I do for myself, you know, everyone's on their own, do your own work and figure out for yourself how I'm playing it. But if I'm right, and this does turn in, to the kind of, of deal, I think, you know, these these ways on planet are going to be just beyond grand slams. Now, it may, it may not work, but on the on the T0 exchange, 
there's something called the T0 token, which is TZROP, where you get a percentage of their net their net revenue in term in the form of a dividend. So if this goes, and six months ago there was one product on this, which was the T0 token. Now there's the T0 token in the overstock preferred, not get into that. And now there's there's the Aspen property as well. Now if this thing begins to multiply and more things come on the platform, which I think is going to happen and is at hand, and customers port to this thing, I, th- I think it, it will be beyond a nuclear rocket ship. So I own TZROP. They traded about 650 I love them. I own them. My son owns them. I'm also... You know, overstock stock trades at 90 and they issued a preferred, they dividended out this this thing called OSTKO, which gives you one share of overstock, right? It's worth one share of overstock plus a dividend plus anything else they wish to do. And this with overstock, I think trading roughly at 90, this thing trades roughly at 60. So you're buying overstock at a 30-point discount. Why? And, Why is that? Well, because it's on a new exchange. Right. It also trades on it, Fidelity in the pinks. The liquidity is not great right now. I think that's going to improve with time. And there's no one talking about it. I'm not going to say it's an orphan security because I think this comes to life. But if you're an investor... Why pay 90 for overstock when you have the same rights you can get at 60? And the reason I think this security is especially interesting is it's a digital security. It's the first one of its kind off a of stock. And I think it will be a huge success. I think it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And we're in a monkey see, monkey do environment a.k.a. the SPACs. And it used to be SPACs were a dirty word. I think the OSTKO dividend, which is essentially one share of overstock plus plus, is going to be the start of a very big wave. And I think either that it catches up to overstock and or surpasses it, or steps will probably be taken by overstock to make that happen. So I like that. I like that a lot. And then there's finally, if you need to trade stocks and holding things for the longer term, like OSTKO is not for you. I just like plain old base overstock, which has an enormous amount of optionality to it. But for now, I on the exchange, it's the T0, which I own, and the OSTKO, which I own. Now the cat now the caveat is how's this all gonna work and how can they pull this off? I think I'm as plugged into overstock as anybody, and I never heard as much of an inkling of their GSA contract with the government. They just one day announced it. They said it's a six billion dollar deal. It's them, Amazon, Thermo Fisher, and it's six billion just on their one vertical. They make that very clear just on their one vertical. So why can't Overstock be in other verticals other than home furnishings? 
Why can't they be in medical supplies? Why can't they do the same thing in industrial supplies? Why can't they do the same thing in office furniture? And their system is more comparable to Shopify than it is to Wayfair because you can do anything on that. This is not your grandfather's overstock on the e-commerce side. Plus, you get the blockchain assets that we talked briefly about. But knowing Johnson the way I, I know him, he's going to partner up with people to make things happen. He's going to, they know what their core competency is and they know what it's not. And I think this concept of sitting on Powerball tickets is huge. And it wouldn't surprise me one day that T0 partners with a Robin Hood or partners with a Citadel, or partners with an alternative Wall Street firm where they say, hey, right, we have the customers who will want to trade this kind of thing. We have the back office to make this work, right? Let's, let's buy this platform or partner on this platform. The people I spoke to yesterday um, was the guy who runs Fidelity Digital Assets. I mean, they're building out a huge business. I mean, and I was talking to him about tokenization. He's like, yeah, I totally get it. It's coming. Well, see, this this is where it's going to go. I mean, Overstock has patents up, down, and sideways. But I'm not naive enough to say they're the only game in town. Right now, they are the only game in town. And I think they have 98% of, the, of all trading, maybe higher. There will be others added. But to me, it's like buying a six-month-old horse And if the horse makes it to the starting gate of the Kentucky Derby, I'm up 20 times my money on that six-month-old horse. Forget forget winning the Kentucky Derby, which is totally within the realm of possibility, or running well in the Kentucky Derby. But this is what I'm talking about in terms of how I try to find things or see things that can literally get gargantuanly big. You know, and there's and there's risks with everything else, but I'm comfortable enough in base overstock, base overstock, yet alone OSTKO, which I buy at a 30 point discount, which is just to me the best the best trade on the board right now in terms of buying something. But if any one of these lottery tickets, especially the Powerball ticket hits, they'll they'll be playing this interview for generations. And and I have enough trolls out there who can't stand me. And if it doesn't work, they'll be playing it for generations on what an idiot <laughs> is. But I I believe in my process. I believe in my thought. I and spend also the, the risk reward makes it worth taking. And that's the point. The upside is so much larger than the downside. It's an option. And it's the, a very the, good the, the risk reward is, is not only beyond insane, what you and I do know is it becomes a monkey see, monkey do business. And when something catches on, whether it's Zoom today, right, or, or you know, the Tesla or how, whatever phenomenon that is, there's no end in sight on where things can go. And, and where I was talking with Fleckenstein, which I think is important for your viewers to know because it's a sophisticated bunch, I liken this to when the PC first came out, 
when I was a younger guy working at the Northern Trust and the PC first came out, it was a green monochrome screen. And there were a few programs that worked on it. Lotus, one, two, three, maybe WordPerfect, maybe something like that. But as things got going, you could buy shrink-wrapped Aldis or Adobe software, your egghead software, or your business land. There wasn't internet back then. You would literally go to a software store and buy a box, a shrink-wrapped box of software for $500 on a five-and-a-quarter-inch floppy disk and plug it into your computer. Then it was a three-and-a-half-inch disk. Then it was a CD. Then it was a DVD. Now it's SAS. So what we're talking about with tokenization, what we're talking about with blockchain voting, what we're talking about with all this other stuff is literally 1.0. I mean, maybe in a year it'll be 1.17 as T0 gets its broker dealer, as they partner up with people, as more things get on the platform. But you're literally right there. And, And when people say it's pie in the sky, hell, Drexel, Burnham, and junk bonds used to be pie in the sky. And although Drexel doesn't exist anymore, the concept of junk bonds is huge. And when Drexel first came out with junk bonds, everyone poo-pooed it, poo-pooed it, poo-pooed it. They say this is garbage. Now it's it's standard fare. When people came out with SPACs years ago, everyone thought it was just garbage. Now everyone wants to do a SPAC. And, and I'm... I do not lack confidence in my ability, and I do not lack confidence in my train of thought. Someone, somehow, somewhere in the very near future is going to make this tokenization concept work. And, and, and T-Zero is right there. I mean, they are, they are right there. If they blow it, shame on them. But they are right there right now. Amazing. So listen, I want to go on to the other thing, which is the complete opposite. So here we're talking about the future of the world. And then the other thing you're involved in, I've noticed, is Camping World. What's that all about? I love I love me this Camping World. I, I, just, I just love it. And my pal, David Abrams, and he owns some of the Raiders, so we're pals for a number of reasons. My son and I were out in Boston seeing Collective Soul about a year ago. And I was intrigued with Camping World because he owns a lot of stock. And we start talking about it. And he explains to me what a great business it is because I thought they just simply sold RVs. And, and, it's, and, it, and it was wrong. And he, and he said, where they make their money, it's literally the razor, razor blade, is they can basically sell the RV at not much margin, but they make it on service, they make it on insurance, they make it on the club. The lifetime value of their customer is huge. So the stock was about 10 and then it went to 17. And then in COVID, it went down to about four or five. And everyone was saying they're going to go broke. They're going to go broke, worried about the consumer. And I said, no, the guy running it, a fellow named Marcus Lemonis, and I don't watch TV. I didn't know he was a TV guy on CNBC. I, I noticed he was buying a ton of stock. He bought like 200,000 shares between six and 10 and the stock was five. So I called him up and I just said, people think you're going broke. He goes, we're not going broke. We have plenty of liquidity. We have too much debt, but when things get better, that'll work itself out. But he said, let me tell you. And his voice was literally like cracking. He says, this is what I have right now. This is all I'm going to do. 
camping is in my blood. I'm completely focused this, that, and the other. And I bought a bunch of stock and I was on uh, Grant's podcast and I was talking up camping world. I think the thing was five and the other day it hit 40. Now it's, let's just say 30. And the stock sold off a bit because in his last quarter, Wall Street was looking for them to make 50 cents and he printed a buck 50. And they were looking for a cash flow, I think of 45 million. And his EBITDA number was north of 200. It was just a crazily good number. And I tweeted out that in all of my years, which are way too many, I've never seen a company earn in a quarter what Wall Street thought they were supposed to earn next year, next year in a quarter. So I think numbers are way too low. I've just printed this out, Marcus, since August 10th has bought another 87,000 shares in the open market and he's paid $3 million for that stock. So even though the stock's gone from five to 30, he's still buying right here. I think numbers are way too low. And the crazy thing is, you know, the street has its head up its ass. And especially this guy at JP Morgan, he has the stock rated a hold. He's been fighting this thing all the way up. It's really like a sell. And I looked at his model the other day and his share count is wrong. He's using 140 million shares in his model and there's only 89 out. And he says the stock's fairly valued at 30. Well, if you use the right share count, dumbass, at 89, right, you have a value of 48. So his math is so far off in his spreadsheet, he's using a $30 number for his target when in fact it should be 48. And it's just an outright embarrassment. But the sexy part of the camping world story with this razor razor blade, I think is on the come. And I don't know anything, but Safflo of PAA Research put out something the other day and he said he thinks camping world is going to get into the Airbnb for RV business. Mm. And and given how they make various forms of money on their touch points being insurance, service, the club, they have 2.1 million members of their auto club, Good Sam. They have 5.4 million unique people who've been to their website and or shop their stores. So if Marcus goes and creates this Airbnb for RVs and it's a fragmented business, you make very basic assumptions here and this guy can make a million dollars a day. Just, just like that, he already has the customers he already has the infrastructure. He already has the stores. And what would be, what's easier than if you and your pals want to go on vacation to the Grand Canyon, you hit Camping World or whatever the Airbnb part of Camping World is, you do a couple clicks, you pick this thing up, you drive it all over, you return it. He makes money on cleaning it, makes money on servicing it, makes money on the club, makes a fee on me putting my RV in the pool. It's just another way of this guy making money. And he is so driven right now. I can just see him literally chewing broken glass because he doesn't pay himself any money. 
He doesn't pay himself a salary. He owns 37% of the stock. And for him to be buying $3 million of money he's not even earning because he's not like making salary to buy more stock here, I think something's up. So they have an analyst day, September 15th, um, which is two weeks, I think, from today. And I think he's going to come out swinging. I think numbers are too low. I think they're too low this quarter, this year, next year. Leverage isn't a problem. He's paid down debt. I mean, he's going to do, I think, 450 in EBIT this year, 500 plus next year. And it's a, it's a great business. He's a great operator. And I like it a lot. I own a lot of this. I yeah, like it, it a lot. It makes a lot of sense as well in this kind of post-COVID world. I mean, like you said before before we, we jumped on the call, you said, you know, you, you use an RV, you go around. Why would you not Airbnb an RV? I mean, it's well, such the, obvious the, thing. The, the, crazy, the crazy thing is people who look down their nose at camping are the exact same people who've never, ever done it. And, and people say, just because you drive around a fancy RV, I have two of them. But when I used to work in the summer at that boys camp, I used to take 13-year-olds backpacking in the Porcupine Mountains of Michigan. And this is a true-ass story. So I said this to the guy on Twitter. First day out, we're three miles in. We pack three miles in. And I tell the kids, because I'm trying to teach them, put the food, tie the food up in, in the bags, tie it together and lift it into the tree so people and bears and people like that don't get it. First night, they didn't do it. Raccoons and whoever else got in our food. All our food's gone. All our food's gone. First night of a five-day trip in the woods, me and another guy with a bunch of 13-year-olds. And you know what? I'll never forget it. And I love to camp, whether it's in an RV, a tent. I could sleep under a bridge if I had to. But people who look down on their nose at camping, it's going to be a long time till I want to get on a plane and go visit my mother-in-law in Spain or Italy or Greece. And, you know, it's just the way the world is because there's so much misinformation out there about the pandemic or coming back. I just don't want to fucking die. I don't want to get this thing. I don't want to give it to my high risk son. I don't want to give it to anybody. Right. So at a minimum, until people figure it out, and that's just not a vaccine. What you see is what you're going to get. Things may get better on the margin, but I read somewhere on Eater in San Francisco the other day, this great, great, great place that I like a lot. They're closing for takeout and pickup because they said as hard as we work and as much as we want to do it until we get back to full capacity inside, we're not going to reopen. Well, in California, that's going to happen on the fifth of never. So, folks, what you see in my mind is what you're going to get. And as big as camping was this year, I think it's going to be bigger next year because they were constrained by there were only so many units out. Camping World All In right now is valued at $3 billion and they do $5 billion in sales and their margins are twice that of the auto dealers and the thing sells it less than 10 times next year's number. So with, with Marcus buying stock. So if you're with me, as I always say, <coughs> knock on wood. I, I love it. I really what, happens if what happens if there's no catalyst? Because you're a very catalyst-driven person. If there's if there's no Airbnb, 
I hope Marcus listens to this and does Airbnb uh, in the spring of next year. But but what I do think will happen is eventually, eventually stocks catch up to their business. Right. When Overstock announced the GSA contract, the stock was 30. It's now let's just call it 90 because they had a rip roaring quarter. The quarter was knock your socks off. Their business is through the roof. Analysts are starting to figure it out. And people look at their number. I mean, Overstock made, let's say, 90 cents in Q1. Overstock could theoretically, right, from operations, make three to four dollars this year. Now, if they make three to four dollars, someone could say, what were people thinking at 10 or three or four, whatever? And the stock should never have traded there. It should never have traded there. And, and I submit Camping World shouldn't be trading here because all I know, if Marcus Lamonis owns 37 percent and is buying three million dollars worth of stock here, he may just say, why, why am I public? I can easily be private and bring this thing out later. Why don't, why don't we go private, guys, at 45 or 50? He obviously likes it at 33. He obviously had the, I mean, he's bought stock this year at 4, 6, 10, 21, 34, and 29. So obviously he likes what's going on. And in this world of insider selling, all this stuff going on, ATMs, I mean, the insider selling ratio is huge, right? This guy is buying it. And I mean, he's he's bought stock. August 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, 24th, 25th, 27th, 28th, and 30th. Seriously, I mean, this is this is this is where he's bought. So, I mean, if you were buying Real Vision stock every day and you were buying it a year ago and you're buying it now, I'm saying this guy Raul see something other people don't. There's a lot of reasons to sell a stock. A lot of reasons insiders sell a stock. Divorce, state planning, kids to school, stock too high, committing fraud, whatever. There's only one reason to buy a stock, and that's because you think it's going to go up. So there's a lot of things out there. It's cheap. He's doing well. He gets no respect. JP Morgan can't figure out what fucking share count to use. And if they use the right share count, it's the cheapest stock. I mean, Ryan Brinkman, when this comes out, I will send it to you. Get off your ass and at least use the right numbers. This is embarrassing. I mean, guys on Seeking Alpha use use the right numbers. J.P. Morgan cannot get the share count right on Camping World. And if he got it right, it's the cheapest stock in his in his universe. And this is <laughs> and this is 2020. We're talking about. I mean, this is not like. Back when I started this in the Stone Age, where you had to go to the library and get an S&P tear sheet or value line. I mean, the, the error here is significant. So for all those reasons, for all those reasons and the disrespect shown to Marcus, I, I just think, you know, the next time we do this, this is going to be this. This thing could be the greatest ever. So I'm really only long two situations. Camping world and overstock, overstock O and T0. And I'm not interested in really fucking around with anything else. And and when people say, I say on Twitter, I spend four hours each day on overstock and they say, what do you do? Well, wait and see what I do and wait and see what comes from this thing. And I'll update that. I spend four hours on overstock before 9 a.m. Pacific time. Because if, if, 
I and or others can pull off this these blockchain things or partners on T0 or partners on the exchange or 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 real firms porting this thing again you'll be playing people will be playing this for their grandkids you know and and that's what I do I I view myself as an activist without a firm without filing 13 Ds without blowing my own horn I mean I blow it enough on Twitter but but these these situations are dynamic and, and they're not for the faint of heart. I mean, camping world is more for the faint of heart than the overstock. I mean, if you're going to buy something and put away, my best shot's the OSTKO. But this, this, this camping world, for what it is, is, is really special, really special. So if you don't mind, if you can give us also an update on your arch nemesis, my medics, and where, where you are with that, because that's been a huge ongoing saga for you, and it's been exhausting. Where, 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 where is that now? Glad you brought that one up. <laughs> Sorry, oh, it's, 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 no, it's, it's going on. I mean, at last track, uh, when Grant did his story on Mimetics with me, which I really enjoyed doing with him, and he has the Mimetics license plate, he said, and it really resonated with me, he goes, why don't you just cover your short and just fight the fight without being short so they don't say you're shorted, you know, you just want it to go down to make money. And I was thinking, you know, Grant, you have a point there. So I covered like 98.9% of it because I, I can't stand, I don't know what my life would be like if I'm not short my medics. So I'm short like this much my medics. So, so they can't accuse me of wanting to put them out of business for financial gain. So then the second I said, I've covered my medics with the exception of this much, this and the other, the trolls go and say, he's given up on the story. It's like, no, you idiots. I'm just trying to write you. I'm criticized with this. I'm criticized with that. I'm just trying to like play it straight. So where are we? They have new management. New management doesn't have a clue. I send them emails. Uh, the crimes are still going on. The fraud is still going on. A uh, former employee, I guess, sends me this gift card right here, folks. This is not a this is real. It says an American Express Mimetics gift card, and it says, congratulations, Mimetics Group, Inc. This, these are the cards used to pay off doctors. These are the cards. It is still going on. And I want to read you and your viewers something from something that was sent to me. I assume this is going to be a lawsuit or something. And it says, kickback scheme. Right. I've always alleged there were kickbacks and that clown at Bloomberg, Joan O'Serer, who can never get anything right, said I was making it up. I'm going to change the names to protect the innocent or guilty. Dr. X formed and implemented a kickback scheme in order to increase his revenue from Medicare and Medicaid in early 2019. He set up a company called Blank Consulting incorporated in California, listing its address at blank. This address belongs to another company, a business owned by Dr. X's medical assistant, assistant, blank. Dr. X hid his ownership in blank by keeping his name off the corporation's formation documents, instead naming his receptionist as the CEO, CFO, 
secretary and sole director. Ms. Blank was a straw man, and we believe the company was in fact a shell owned and operated by Dr. X for the purpose of receiving kickbacks in the form of commissions. Rather than purchasing tissue from Blank, a direct employee of Mimetics, Dr. X set up Blank as a sham company to be an independent agent, which earned commissions on all tissue Dr. X purchased from Mimetics. It is believed Dr. X's use of Blank as an independent agent greatly increased his revenue from use of Mimetics tissue because we assume Blank kicked back all commissions to Dr. X. Once this kickback scheme was put into place, Dr. X drastically increased the amount of tissue he purchased from Mimetics and drastically increased his use of tissue at his office in two hospitals. With Blank no longer in charge of Dr. X's account, the manager, Blank, a regional sales manager, became Dr. X's contact at Mimetics. Blank was responsible for tagging tissue implanted by Dr. X at these hospitals, sometimes tagging tissue multiple times, which is a violation of FDA good tissue management. This elaborate tissue tagging scheme also kept unsuspecting hospitals in the dark as they were still purchasing from Mimetics. And this tissue tagging scheme at the back end was designed to avoid detection by the hospitals. It gets into various kickbacks and ripping off Medicare and Medicaid. And this crap began in February of 2019. So for everyone, including that asshat Joe Nocera, right, who accuses me of saying the biggest fraud is the short sellers of my medics, you're a lying sack of crap, Joe, because this thing is a criminal operation up, down, and sideways. The guys at my medics know this. They know it. People can be brought in to prove it, right? And it needs to be stopped once and for all. Why right? is it being stopped, Mark? Why is it? I, this is what I don't get, right? There's enough noise for somebody to do something about it. Why does it not get stopped? The Here's the crazy part. And I ran this by my lawyer, right, before we got on here. They have a cooperation agreement with the DOJ. I am 100% sure that the guys in my medics have this. They have this. They know what's going on. They know what's going on with the gift cards. They know who the bad actors are. And companies that are involved in crime, right, that's their core competency of their business. And they know about this. They know about this. And in this era of crime paying, it is great, great, great that Parker Pete's been indicted and one of these days is going to stand trial and hopefully get his ass thrown in jail. And, and you know, we foiled the FBI. Everyone knows about the FBI visit at the hands of Pete and Isaacson. We foiled the FBI. They tell us in their response, stuff exists. It all exists. It all exists. Right. And we'll get it to you between four months and four years. That's, that's, that's their answer. And my attorney said, Isaacson will be dead in four years. And whoever perpetrated this crap at the FBI will be well gone in four years. 
They're sure not going to take four months. So I've sued, right? We've sued the FBI and the DOJ just on a very simple FOIA grounds. We're entitled to see what went down. I would think the public would want to know what went down. It's either something really bad or something, yeah, we didn't like this, that, or the other. So we sent some guys there and told them to quit tweeting or there'll be consequences because the FBI has nothing better to do. And the crazy thing is, the government is fighting me on this. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not like, yeah, we see your suit. It's a good idea. Here's the stuff. Now go scram. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like we have to make motions in federal court to get this FOIA stuff to come out. And in my mind of minds, if there was nothing there, they would just release it. But so there has to be. So how much bigger do you think this is than just my medics? Because it sounds like it's something much bigger. And that's why you're hitting I, such a brick wall. I, I think it's huge. And, and what people don't understand, and this is like really important. This is really important with what's going on in this world, right? I'm 60. I take care of a 33-year-old guy who's disabled. Love my wife. Love my life, right? If I don't push back on this, this can happen to any skeptic out there. They can send people by your house to tell you to shut up. They can corn your wife in a grocery store. They can block you in a car. They can do all sorts of stuff. Someone has to draw the line somewhere, somewhere, right? All this is doing is costing me money, right? I'm, I'm you know, if the stock goes to zero, I, I sure don't make enough to cover my legal fees from this thing. But the insane part is, People in the Senate or Congress or others should say, what the fuck is going on in this world where a bribed senator from Georgia, from a criminal, shuts up a skeptic through the use of the FBI? I mean, I'm no fan of orange man Trump. I am no fan of his whatsoever. But he is definitely on to something with the FBI. And I'm not one to cross swords with the government, but someone needs to do something or this crap just gets out of hand. And, and then when it happens to you or someone else or another skeptic or they find someone dead or a whistleblower or what have you, everyone will say, how did the world come to this? It came to this because no one ever pushed back against the man, right? And I didn't ask for this fucking bullshit, but they brought the bullshit to me and I'm gonna sit there and say, hey, Right. If it's the last thing I do, I got to push back against it. Now, now maybe they're in tight with some federal judge in Oakland and the judge will throw this out or delay it or do whatever. But at least I got to try. At least I've got to try to figure out what comes. And I, and I think it's bigger than big. I think CMS with my medics is on the take. I think these VA guys are putting all this bullshit into vets which is bad and it's and it's crime for profit right and it, and and I told Grant it's the last thing it, it was my last deal everyone said I was kidding I'm not kidding I'm serious as can be I mean if you think you can go and take down companies and expose them this that and the other I mean look look at what it got all those guys on wirecard I mean it, 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 you know look look at what it got those guys I mean I was involved in it and and I think I I helped the cause but you know, they, they've ruined a lot. You ruin a lot of people's lives 
just by speaking out. And this is what Real Vision's about. This is what various podcasts are about. This is about what Grant and Fleckenstein are doing. And, and I'm a believer in at least speaking out or standing up. If you can't stand up to this, what the hell are you going to stand up for? Right. I mean, if you can't stand up for criminals, bullying guys who expose this bullshit around, what are you going to stand up for? People beating up women, people shooting guys on the streets. I mean, I mean, mean, it's it's your it's your patch. Right. This is the thing you've grown up in. This is where you've worked. This is where you've earned your living. And you want to clean up your patch because I, I, I know that at my stage of life. I can make a tiny bit of difference in a very small segment of the world, right? But at least if I can prevail here and we can see what happened, at least it will discourage some going forward to do this shit and say, we don't want to end up like that guy. I mean, Parker Petit's going to get his ass thrown in the can for all the shit he did. And I'm thrilled about it. Did I have a hand to play in it? Absolutely. Am I thrilled about it? Absolutely. Now, I want to see the perpetrators who go and rip off CMS, rip off patients, inject this crap, you know, bribes, kickbacks, whatever. I want to see these guys brought to justice. I really do. And and, and maybe it won't happen, right? But I'll do my damn best to do it. And I have no profit incentive from it. None. Now, I have profit incentive from Overstock. I got profit incentive from OSTKO. I got profit incentive from TZROP and profit incentive from Camping World, right? But that's just telling what I believe to be true, using facts and my analysis. This mimetics thing hits home. And this mimetics thing to me is serious. And when someone sends me a gift card, right, this isn't like a picture of one. And this isn't a generic gift card. It says... Right. Can you can you read it where it says congratulations, my medics group? Yeah. Right. Now, what what company? Right. Has American Express is not printing up a one off of these. Right. I mean, you just don't go to Real Vision doesn't go to American Express and say, hey, I'd like 10 Real Vision Merry Christmas cards. Right. It's not like, you know, there's Santa in this motif. Right. And it's very easy to get, and this is a $500 denomination, it's very easy to give a shoebox of these to doctors who then order millions of dollars of your worthless products. I presume it's not declarable. Yeah, I mean, there's there's all sorts of stuff with this, right? It's not declarable. It's here you go. It's tax evasion and everything else. But, you know, I, I was calm this morning and, and and I had a clear mind. Now I'm a little agitated with this mimetics. This this mimetics thing just really just really like jacks me up some. But look, Mark, we're all proud of what you've done. Thank you. You know, it makes a big difference to everybody. And that's why you've got such a huge following, is because people are so inspired by what you've done and why you've done it. Yeah, well, I got lovers and I got haters, but you know, the the one thing is and you know, people use this word too much. You know, the PTSD. This shit like fucks up your mind. It, it, it really does. And, you know, and you can get help and you get counseling and this and the other. But, you know, I'm, I was never a paranoid person. Right. Never a paranoid person. 
But after, you know, you get the FBI showing up and, and, and you get some of the wire card stores, you know guys are out to get you. I mean, because the money is so big with these guys. It's so big. And, it's just and organized crime. That, well, see, see, that's, that's, that's just it. And, and, you know, I got people who depend on me. I'd rather be, you know, a live coward than a dead hero. You know, I, you know, and I don't, I don't need to get killed over this shit, but boy, it sure would be refreshing to get to the end. So I can, you know, I'm, I'm very close to getting, just saying like, I'm done for now. So I'm going to write this book, but I need, I need the proper ending. I need the, right. I, I, I can't have it, you know, dot, 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 you know, like to be, to be you can't, you won't and can't give up. Right? But no, I, I, I have to see it through. It's like, you know, with these overstock guys, I have to see it through. There was so much hate dished out my way on this overstock. I have to burn all these guys once and for all. I burned them pretty bad right now, but I want to see this thing become what I think it can be. It's important, you know, unlike, you know, this is my third year in overstock. I mean, I've been in, I've been long this thing. Now it's three plus years, right? There are people, you know, in, of my own, don't hang around for three years. It's important to me to see things through. It's important for me to, I got Bill Morneau's ass in Canada, that guy who stops me at the airport with the Canadian money launder. He's gone. Soloway's gone. Mark Thompson's gone. Parker Petit's going to go to jail. I mean, it's important to see these things through. So here's a, it's a final question for you, Mark, because people don't, people hear this and you've ridden Overstock up and down, right? Yeah. How do you size a position like that? Because this is a question, because everyone goes, well, you know, I don't know how to do that. And Because I talk about long-term trades, and most people don't get what long-term trades are. I've been long some great ones in my day. I've been long some duds. You know, Nolan Ryan, say he's the greatest pitcher of all time, leads the majors all time in wins, losses, home runs given up, all the good and all the bad. So I've seen it all. How do you size it? It gets very hard. You know, you sell too early, but then they say bulls, bears, and pigs. So, you know, if I own overstock at three and the stock's 90, have I sold some along the way? Yeah. Have I written calls along the way? Yeah. But I'm long, I'm long right now far more OSTKO than I was ever long in overstock ever at any, at any because so it's. You'll actively trade around a position a bit. So if it goes up a lot, I'm not, you'll I'm not, I'm not trading around OSTKO. I've no. sold some. I've sold some overstock at various levels and written calls on overstock at various levels to fund OSTKO purchases because I think OSTKO is really worth more than OSTK. It's worth more than it. And if I can buy it at a 30-point discount, it's bending at the waist and picking up money. And if people don't like it because it doesn't trade, I mean, hey. The one story I want to leave people with is back when David Rocker and I got along and worked together, we were short something called Canon Dagua Wine, and it traded on the Amex, the American Stock Exchange. And it was illiquid as fuck. Pardon to use the language, but it was illiquid. And we were short because of wine cooler at 30. We covered the stock at 11. The guy who liked it at Fidelity gets fired. No, the guy who liked it at Harris Bank, Neil Miller, gets fired. We get a call one day and the stock's trading at five from a broker. And they said, 
there's 2.7 million shares of Canandaigua wine for sale. And this thing's trading 4,000 shares a day. And, and we're, we're long it. And I go like, we're going to die. So I call up the guy who founded a Marvin Sands. And I said, Harris, these guys have 2.7 million shares for sale. I think Neil Miller got fired and they're just selling the stock. He goes, who's the broker? I said, Cantor Fitzgerald. And he goes, I'll buy them all. And I said, really? He goes, yeah. I said, no, no, no. We want some too. <laughs> so, so they traded this thing at three and a quarter. We bought God knows what became like 11% holders. My son, who was just born, he bought some. I put every penny he had in this thing. He bought some, a couple pals bought some, and Marvin Sands bought the rest. He bought the rest. I think that was early 88, early 88, something like that. And the stocks, it's now Constellation Brands. The time it had a market cap of $100 million with debt, and I think now it's like $16 billion. And and we sold the stock, the three dollar stock. We sold it somewhere between forty and seventy, and I think the stock is now. I mean, I could have owned the state of Montana, Idaho, Utah, and North Dakota if I would have kept the stock. So, how do you do it? I don't know. You don't want to be greedy. You got to watch taxes. You want to try to go long term. I was restricted and overstocked for a while because I was working on something on it. Uh, that didn't come to pass. I'm not restricted in any name right now. Everything I've told you is uh, in the public domain. It's just my opinion, but but I think it's it's I think these things are going to be something. I love OSTKO T zero and Camping World. I love them. I I just I just I think they're great. I really do. I love it. I love. A, the ideas, I love how much work you put into them and how much you completely own your idea. It's extraordinary. And it's brilliant to see because so few people do. And it's just an honor to talk to you about stuff like this. It's amazing. You're you're a good man. I'm a huge fan. I think you're doing great. I mean, I I think you're doing great. Sorry to see you and Grant split, but it's better for both of you guys. I think I think you both just are are wonderful. You you guys crack me up when you used to do your end of the year thing. I think there's, there's something there has to be. I just want to put this out there for people and maybe smarter folks and I'll come up with something. There has got to be something on the network that runs against CNBC, whether it's online with the stock tickers going on the bottom, whether it's you guys, you know, an online thing where people get it, where you're constantly playing your contact and content and non-market hours. But there has to be something out, out there that thinking people can do and watch other than the Cartoon Network. Yeah, the only problem is, is doing that kind of live news tends for people to just talk bullshit all day. So, you know, I much prefer doing stuff like this, but there's a way of streaming this and having other stuff. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. But literally, I don't watch the Cartoon Network and I can't watch the Cartoon Network because it's such a cartoon show. But I have I have great respect for you and what you've done. Your team, I love your stuff. And, and you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan and I'll help you any way I can. And, and we're a huge fan of you and I am personally as well. 
Well, and, if I, and if I said anything that offended anyone using bad language, I apologize. I tried to tone it down. No, I always swear. I'm a habitual swearer. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. All right, my friend. Take care and thanks ever so much. And I'll see you again soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.